millions by convention fed to millions. Blind belief in those who lead that own our system. Hi, Jabari. Hey. How are you? How's it going? Good, good. Sorry if I'm a little bit late. Took me a while to get... I don't use Chrome, and I actually don't use Facebook on my computer at all, so I had to, like, look up my password. (laughs) Yeah, figures out. But here we are. Thank you for having me on. That's absolutely fine, you know? I, was, I, I wanted you to take your time to get on. I know everybody has issues with StreamYard. StreamYard is a very uh, interesting uh, program. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. It, I mean, if people like it, though. I mean, yeah. um, you know, I, I have a bunch of podcasts that I, I go on and they use StreamYard. And yeah, I mean, yeah. so I just have a Google. I, I mean, I use Safari on my mm-hmm. Mac just because it's easiest and it seems to work best with what I do. Um, right, I know right. a lot of people don't like it, but but yeah, no, and. But yeah, just keep Google Chrome as well, and when I need to, just pop it open. Yeah, yeah. And um, your your last name is pronounced Ho, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, thanks for asking. I want to make sure I want to. I didn't want to master that. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for coming on, um, and for everyone that is listening, um, thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, this is the Green Party candidate for Senate in North Carolina, Matthew Matthew Ho. Um, and he, one of the things about why I'm so excited that you're able to come onto the show is not only just your platform, but that you're running on, but also the uh, the, the revolutionary, the, the fight that you have done so much with just being an ex-Marine and exposing the truths that are going on overseas with our government, uh, with our military. Um, I've been watching you for a while now, ever since I saw you on RT. Um, and I am so excited to, to have you here. And I have some great questions and I'm not going to hold you for long because I know that you're a very, very busy man fighting a real fight. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> well, again, th- thank you for the uh, invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. And thank you for those kind words. Yes. Um, and where are you held right now in North Carolina? Are you uh, in your hometown or did you relocate? Yeah, no, I'm originally from New Jersey, and then the Marine Corps brought me down here, and family live here, and and so this has been, I've been coming down to North Carolina for more than 30 years now, and living down here for parts of it, and most of the last 10 years I've been here, um, and I live in Wake Forest, so right right outside of Raleigh, not yeah. not where Wake Forest University is, where that terrible, if people are following uh, the mm-hmm. news down here, I think it's it's national news, we have a, a terrible uh, uh fire at an ammonium ammonium nitrate factory which basically you know yeah you're talking about tons and tons of of ammonium nitrate that possibly could detonate which you know as they are saying would would be the biggest bomb um in the united states ever right wow if people remember um two years ago the bomb uh, i'm sorry the ammonium nitrate that was stored in beirut that exploded and uh, just devastated the entire port region, killed, fortunately, only, right, only killed a couple hundred people, I believe, in Beirut by the grace of God, right? Wow, wow. This Supposedly, this is orders of magnitude more than that. And there's a lot of really great, it, it's more than just the uh, the horror of it, the possibility of, oh, my God, how many, I mean, they've evacuated, and, but, but you're talking at least 6,000 people would be made homeless by something like that, as well as, too, the loss of life that could potentially occur because, 
you know, they, they evacuated a mile radius, but that might not be enough. And you have first responders and firefighters, the EMS, you know, those folks who are in that vicinity. So, you know, it is very dangerous, but there's deeper questions, you know, that really, I think, get to the heart of, of what you and I want to talk about, Jabari, what right. you and I are, are, are working for, what we want to what we want to change, what we want to do, because, you know, our system doesn't represent people. You know why this, this ammonium nitrate factory, which, again, is basically a bomb. Um, and that's not hyperbole. I mean, it it basically is a bomb. Um, you know, when I was in the Marine Corps, I did a lot of demolitions and explosives and we made explosives out of ammonium nitrate The the insurgents that fought us in Iraq and Afghanistan made, uh, uh, IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices, roadside bombs out of ammonium nitrate. This is, this is what you can use this for besides fertilizer. right? Right. And so this is what Timothy McVeigh used to, uh, in his Oklahoma City bomb attack was fertilizer, basically. So the question, though, is why do you have this facility? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it has to do it. I mean, I, I, obviously, uh, we could talk, too, I guess, I know, uh, about how much uh, our agricultural policies and our use of fertilizer and, and, and what it has done to uh, our our lands, what has done to our soil, what it means for the future, because we have so uh, uh, overdeveloped uh, our agric- our fields that they are not just producing less, but are in very real danger of, of basically running dry to, to say right. simplistic. Right. But, you know, with, with this this plant, it, it, it the plant, if people can believe this, had no sprinkler systems and no fire alarms. Right. I mean, and it's because the plant was built before 1953. So it was grandfathered in. And why is that? Well, it's because this way the plant owners don't have to pay to have these sprinkler systems put in. Right. I mean, it it is in um, the area of town and is in Winston-Salem. It is a black area of town. There is no way a plant like that would be in a white area of town. Right. Right. I was going to ask that. Like, what what is the demographic there? Um. For for viewers that don't know, it's always when something is grandfather in like that, it could be really dangerous. It could be in a a demographic town that is poverty. And that's exactly what's happening right here. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and, and so the question I think that that and this is what I think you and I uh, and others in our movement are trying to do is like, look, government should be for the people. Right. And how can you say a government is for the people when it allows facilities like this? to operate without modern safety features right? simply because it would cost too much money for the plan owners. And the plan owners are the ones who, in reality, as we know how politics works, they're mm-hmm. the ones who ultimately decide how much is too much because we have a system, whether it's at the federal level or at the local level, as we're seeing in Winston-Salem, that is mm-hmm. captured by money. Right. And, you know, this is a big part of, of, of our movement is to, you know, get that money out of politics so right. that government can actually be part, you know, can, government can actually be, uh, you know, part of the people for the people, you know, um, as opposed to for money. Right. And these, these this is a this is a practice that you can see going on right now in Flint. Um, mm, yeah. Still to this day in other towns like Flint, because Flint is not the only one. Um, this town here in Connecticut that has going through the same issue, um, small town, so it doesn't get that much um, coverage. But this is still just another example of just no one wants to put money into what really needs to happen to 
upgrade so we don't have to have these tragedies afoot. Yeah. Uh, which is very, <laughs> very sad. And I, th- I, I really do, I really do agree with the taking money out of politics. Um, with does that coincide with changing that system as well too? Um, like the corruption of like the Democratic Party and the Republican as well too. Um, we'll, we'll, let's just let's be optimistic here because we know it's a big fight. But yeah. but let's be optimistic here. Like what could be a beginning towards a better change for this government? <laughs> yeah, you know, I I, I think uh, there's a lot of different ideas that are available that could be utilized to make uh, you know our democracy more representative, uh, more just, uh, expand it, make it more inclusive. There are a lot of different things. And, and I, I mean, if people go to my website, which is MatthewHoferSenate.org, yeah. the, the top the top item on my issues list is about this, is political corruption and electoral reform. Uh, and, and we have to, it has to be, uh, it can't just be ranked choice voting. It can't just be abolished electoral college. It can't just be overturned Citizens United. It has to be uh, really comprehensive reform um and reform might be too uh too soft of a term i mean we, we have to really uh uh restructure we have to you know first of all we've got to take it back our political system i don't know if we ever had it uh, um i mean i think a lot of there's a lot of demographics in this country a lot of communities in this country that never had it right okay so you know so um so even taking it back sounds good but that's that's historically inaccurate to say that but i think people get what i'm going towards right right you know and then reimagine it and then restructure it uh you know so the idea that it really is more of a uh you know uh, i think the goal you have to have goals and what's the goal and i think the goal is direct democracy right, right. where people are directly involved in the decision makings of government now there's practicalities there, there's you know i mean limitations with something like that um but we have to have a, a political system that includes people and people can see that their input into the political system has value and has worth and has meaning. You know, year after year, um, I, I think 2020 stands out as a, a bit of an outlier. Uh, but, you know, in most elections, uh, the biggest voting block in our elections are non-voters, not Democrats, Republicans or independents. It's non-voters. And in the right. presidential elections, oftentimes it's, you know, 80 to as many as 100 million people don't vote. Um, and, you know, there's a lot. Why would they? You know, I mean, they got to take a day off from work. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, right. I mean, stay, a lot of our polling places are under resourced. You know, right. so it's not only a day at work, it's a day on a cold, uh, cold November day standing in line for six, seven, eight hours. Insane. Uh, right. And, and where what is the um, what is the benefit? What is the value? What, what comes out of it? Uh, you know, it, it increasingly you see communities that that, you know, people in, in various communities that are just neglected. Uh, and that neglect is not oftentimes a benign neglect. It's a malign neglect. Right. It's an right. intentional neglect. Uh, for reasons, again, that gets back to what we're talking with the fertilizer plant. Ultimately, somebody's making money. Right. And so I, I think, you know, we, we could be here. My, we could go through all the ideas I have for mm-hmm. how we should change it. But oh, it, it generally, it has to be a complete uh, reversal of the political system as we now know it. 
Yes. Right. In the sense that money is not the objective of politics. It's serving the needs of the people um, and with with providing um, the, uh, uh, the the government with a mandate, with an ability to do exactly that. So when we talk about issues, say, such as, you know, uh, I just saw my congressman down here had a, a webinar on expanding broadband, inter- broadband Internet access, which mm-hmm. in parts of North Carolina is a really big deal, particularly in right. our rural parts. And in the last two years have really shown how much broadband Internet is a public utility. It's not a nice yes. to have thing so that you can watch your TV shows on Netflix. Yes. It, this is a public utility. This is a necessity. And right. the, the, the reality of this package that Congressman Price was 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 putting forth was that you get 30 bucks off your Internet service. I mean, first of all, 30 bucks, 30 bucks, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, hey, I'll take 30 bucks. But like, I mean, like, but you know what I mean? Right. Everyone. I mean, I think everyone gets what I'm saying here. It's like 30 bucks off. I mean, this is a public utility, yeah. um, you, you know, uh, I, I can understand that, that like any utility public can pay for it but it probably mm-hmm. should be that maybe you're paying at most 30 bucks right and mm-hmm. not having 30 bucks off of your 100 internet bill um right you know and, and th- that that doesn't get to the point though that a lot of communities again particularly our rural communities don't have access to broadband right. i mean i know people who are still using dsl uh wow. right right i mean exactly that's a problem north carolina <laughs> problem Huge problem. problem. <laughs> no, I mean, and it, 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 it gets into all kinds of issues of, of you know, equity and equality. Um, right. But all, but the general, I think people can understand. Could you go through your day? Can you go through your week? Um, you know, I, I think maybe people have had this experience, uh, uh, Jabari, with like, you know, I know I have like my phone breaks. And the first day it's great because I don't have my phone anymore. And I feel like this leash, you know, this tether is now gone, right? You know, and the first day is fantastic. I feel so liberated, right? Right. And then (laughs) the second day, you're like, oh, man, I really need to get this thing done. Or, oh, I got to order this. Or I have to sign up for this. Or, oh, I'm missing, you know, I'm missing this for work or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, because they really have become, um, you know, via the Internet. Um, right. very uh, sincere parts of our lives. Uh, there's some good, good, good consequences of that. And of course, there's some bad consequences of that. But the point is, is that if we had a government that represented the people that people had direct input into, felt that they had a stake in, felt that they were in control of things like public broadband would be something that all parts of North Carolina would be experiencing right now. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and that's a discussion that uh, that needs to happen so much more. You know, I also talk about how social media used to, used, needs to be a public utility. Yeah. Um, just the banning of uh, other sites and stuff. And when it's a sure. right winger, everyone everyone celebrates. But while they're doing that to white right wingers, they're also doing that to leftists that are actually giving out a really good dialogue. And so it's so important to talk about that as well, too. <laughs> so yeah yeah i mean a big discussion right now of course is joe rogan you can't right. you're right you can't go anywhere without hearing that name and i've not you know joe rogan's interesting i think because a few years ago and i think i wrote a facebook post about this a few years ago i said something about how what joe rogan is doing is great because he had just had on bernie sanders he just had on ed snowden 
for like Abby four Martin, hours, right? Ed for four hours, yeah. Yeah, that was and crazy. so you think about that. My God, this Rogan just introduced Ed Snowden to 12 million people who probably yeah. didn't know, knew, knew very little about Snowden. And, you know, so my thoughts were at that point several years ago, he's doing a great thing. And then mm-hmm. since obviously I wasn't correct in that estimation, estimation, right? You know, but I think the, the bigger point about censorship, you're exactly right. And this idea of social media, just, uh, and this is the dangers though, right? This is the dangers of privatization. This is the days dangers of financialization when everything comes to eventually be about capital and about money you then have very serious issues very serious problems with establishing what is the public good and and i think that if you take this 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 idea that censorship is almost inherently uh not uh, in particularly in the mid and long term something that is is in support of the public good you know, right. you lose track of that, though, because you, you get into arguments now over whether or not musicians should be pulling their music from Spotify in order to right. cause Spotify to lose money when the argument should be really about what's in the best interest of the public here. What's in the best interest exactly. of the people? Yeah. Yeah. I talk about talk about Spotify and all that all the time on this podcast, <laughs> even before this whole Joe Rogan situation, mm-hmm. just how they treat artists. And, and exploit their their talent for pennies is just another whole different conversation. That yeah, that, yeah, um, you know, and I I think that's a point about our campaign and in our movement. And I'm, I'm sure you've had guests who've been much more articulate and knowledgeable about this. But you know, I don't I don't use Spotify, so I'm not familiar with it. But yeah, as I learned <laughs> right over these last weeks with this controversy and seeing people bring up. The fact that Spotify really just uh, takes from musicians and artists and doesn't give back uh, that it gets into this broader conversation about a living wage. Right. About just wages, about fair. uh, You know, and again, now it gets to, I think, the other part of direct democracy is democracy, you know, to to steal, uh, you know, Richard Wolff's phrase, democracy in the workplace. You know, the, the, the one of the things I think that's that it really strikes me and I assume it strikes other people, too, is that when um, Neil Young pulled his music from Spotify, people asked, well, is David Crosby going to do the same? And David Crosby doesn't have control of his music. And there's something that just is not right about that. Right. You know, it, <laughs> right. It's just something that's not right about that. Now, I know David Crosby got a ton of money for it. Right. But still. It's something not right about that, that, you know, when you have that type of and that's an extreme example, of course, we're talking about, you know, say like Bruce Springsteen, who sells his music for half billion dollars. That, of course, is an extreme example. But he gives his uh, uh, band members W2s. But <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah, you know, but that's an, that's an extreme example. But I, I think it underlies this idea of like, what is the value of work? Where is the justice in a person's labor? And how right. can that be fine? And if you create something and you, you, you build something, um, you should maintain a share of that, you know, and that goes from everyone from Bruce Springsteen down to the people doing the, um, you know, it's, it's hard to talk about this stuff because the language of our society is also so demeaning and so restrictive, you know, so when you, you know, you say you want to make a comparison to Bruce Springsteen and someone who's doing more run of the mill type work. You know, mm-hmm. we tend to use demeaning terms. We tend to say menial, right? Mm-hmm. You know, as if somebody who's washing dishes in a kitchen somehow doesn't deserve the same respect for their labor 
that exactly. Bruce Springsteen has. And so, exactly. I mean, again, another larger issue here that I think is important for us in this movement to do is redefining language, redefining uh, our, our emotions about these te uh, topics, uh, redefining how we view uh, and mm -hmm. discuss these things, because when we automatically say something like uh, low skill or no skill, which is terrible, terrible right. thing to say, absolutely untrue. First I, of all, honestly, I yeah. am just so shocked that they say that as oh, if tough. it's like a professional term that they would use for a dialogue. It's really yeah. it's really oh. astonishing to me. Uh, yeah, uh, 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 someone in the service industry is unskilled. Um, right. I would I wouldn't make a day working in a restaurant. I don't have those. I don't have those skills at all. I, I would. I would. I would be in tears probably four hours into my shift, right? Overwhelmed with everything that's going on and all the it's complexity of, of it. It's a ton of work. Yeah, I mean, but we call that unskilled, uh, mm -hmm. which then you know, it, because of our language, uh, because of how society uh, you know uses language to inform decisions. Well, that means people who are unskilled don't deserve the same level of compensation, of value, of the valuation of their work, of appreciation, of respect, of certainly of justice or fairness sure. uh, that someone who is skilled does. And I don't know if about, about folks who are listening, but I, I can tell you this. I mean, I've, I've worked both, you know, both sides and, and um, you know, I've seen what unskilled labor is, uh, you know, particularly like construction type of stuff. And that is anything but unskilled, but that's supposedly... You know, any kind of anything that, that's blue collar is unskilled, so to speak. Right. And I've seen skilled with people sitting around an office where, you know, you do about two hours of work a day. You can sit around in meetings, you know, you talk to your friends, you know, what I mean, <laughs> like so I, I, I've seen both. And um, so this this divide we have is completely artificial. But it's a I totally a, agree a construct that serves a purpose. And it gets back to what we were talking originally about the fertilizer factory. Right. Somebody is making money off of it. Right. And we're, we're told one thing I love about your campaign. Um, I put up I'm putting up certain points that I've noticed that I liked about your platform. I like the only thing about your platform where we can get we can't talk about all that stuff on your platform. So the, the, an economy for workers and a livable wage. And I love how you mentioned within your um, your, your explaining of, of this uh, talking point of how we basically move past $15 an hour, $20 an hour. Um, if you listen to economists today, they're saying it should be $33 an hour for minimum wage. Um, what 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 can what what are the starting points for North Carolina, for instance? Because I know that North Carolina minimum wage is lower than as of Connecticut, and we're just actually getting towards 15 so it's not even any better <laughs> yeah but what are the starting points how can we actually like make that happen you know like yeah north carolina is at seven dollars and 25 cents uh for minimum wage uh Jesus. many several years ago when i was working at the ymca i made 10 cents more than that so seven dollars and 35 cents and i'd work a four-hour shift and my take home would be 21 dollars, wow. and that had a really big effect on me uh, um you know, in a sense that we had people there who were uh, who needed the money. Right. Who, who were, were. And, um, you know, you think, my God, you, you, you work a full day, eight hours and you've made a little more than 40 bucks. You know, how do you how do you get by in this? Well, you get by in this because you go to another job right away, you know, because you are sharing expenses with family and friends, because also you're skimping on things. You know, yep. you're not. First and primary, first and primary, 
healthcare, right? I mean, so there's, there's, it, it has a, and, and your point about what the minimum wage, you know, I mean, minimum wage gets uh, for most, the first 30 years or so of minimum wage, it was coupled to productivity. Uh, so that as productivity went up, the minimum wage also went up and around 1968, they decoupled it. And, um, since then you've seen this huge gap between, and actually for a while people like, you know, one of the things I think Jabari, we can really do well in this movement is throw back in the face of the other movements, what they espouse. So the whole make America great again, besides the racist elements to it and everything else, there's this belief that the fifties and the sixties, America was this economic dynamo. And we need to get back to it. If you look at it in the 50s, the minimum wage actually outpaced productivity every year. Wages. uh, Well, yeah, FDR starts in 38. And then but under Eisenhower. So, uh, you know, Republican um, in the 50s, wages go up at a greater rate than productivity does every year. And then 68, that gets decoupled. Um, And, you know, since then, we've seen this gap between productivity and wages that has really hurt working families. Right. You know, I mean, it, it's something that like uh, in the last 40 years, productivity has gone up 70 percent and wages have gone up 17 percent, you know. And so what does that mean in, in a sense for, for North Carolinians? One, it, it, it just so we're clear about this. This didn't happen organically. This is not because of some free market magic or some nonsense like that. This is the result of government policies under every president since really Nixon, but especially under Reagan, under Clinton, right? Under Bush and Obama, uh, certainly Trump and Biden. uh, Biden's economic policies and financial policies are in line with all of them. And uh, so, but what you have though, what, you know, what we're saying is that for more than 40 years, for, for 50 years, I was born in 73, my whole life, the government has had policies in place that have actively and directly benefited corporations, banks, and Wall Street, the wealthiest, et cetera, et cetera, while directly undermining workers and their families. It's clear. These are the policies we have chosen as a government to uh, put in place and to enact. And the results have been that workers can't pay for what they need because they are not receiving just and fair wages. They are not receiving the value of their labor. Very clear. I mean, this idea, I I don't know why people struggle with this. If a business receives a truckload, say a restaurant receives a truckload of meat from Cisco or whoever, right? They don't get to undercut the cost. They don't get to say, uh, you know, if they were, if if restaurants were to get together and say, we are going to undercut the cost of the materials we are receiving at in an organized manner, the, the justice department and would be on them and the commerce department would be on them in a heartbeat. Right. Right. But this, right. where, so where's the support for laborers, for workers who have had the same experience, excuse me, sorry, about my uh, who have had the same experience uh, where there has been an organized effort by businesses to undercut, the wages as well right. as government policy. So what that means then for say in North Carolina is that last year to uh, be able to afford a two bedroom apartment in North Carolina, you needed to make about $18 and 50 cents an hour. Well, the uh, uh, average uh, wage in North Carolina 
uh, last year was $16.30 an hour. So people are already $2.20 behind. And that's across the whole state. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and what we've seen is that just reports just came out yesterday. Rents have gone up in the last year 20% in North Carolina. And I can wow. guarantee you, yeah, 20%. I can guarantee you that some parts of the state, they went up a third, you know, 33%. Um, you know, I can guarantee you no one is seeing bumps to their pay 20%. 33%, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that's the reality is you have people who are, um, you know, and it's, so this idea that somehow $15 an hour uh, is, 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 is what is needed. Uh, will it make a difference in people's lives? Absolutely. I mean, any amount of increase is going to make a difference when you're, when you're, when you are, uh, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. Right. like that. But, you know, the reality is, as you said, Jabari, uh, 50, excuse me, $15 an hour was, a good idea five, six years ago, but yeah. you know, again, like, and, and so my, my idea, what I believe, and I, you know, didn't make this up. I get this from other people. Um, <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, I wish I could claim like, ah, oh, just sitting there one day and it came to me, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, that, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, is, is that what we need to have is we need to have a, a minimum wage that is annually adjusted for cost of living, specifically housing costs in the zip code of employment. I mean, this way now, you, now you're, you're localizing wages. You're, you're making sure wages are in harmony with the local economy. You're accounting for uh, regional differences. It may not be by zip code. It may be by city. It may be by county. It may be by region. Maybe it's by state. I, I don't know, you know uh, how best that would be implemented. I would, I would think it would be by zip code, certainly an easy enough thing to do. We have mm-hmm. all the data points so that you know, if housing in your area goes up, you can afford that because all the other things about housing, about how we're going to, well, the, the, the county or the city is going to, you know, they're going to purchase this land and then they're going to turn it over to developers. They've been saying that for 50, 60 years now. And I don't right. see it happen. We had here in Raleigh um, uh, uh, um, last year, a house that was supposed to be affordable housing was put on the market for $515,000. I mean, oh, wow. that's the reality of the ha- affordable housing programs. I mean, like they just don't, um, you know, and y- you you would like to think that we, until we, we get back to originally we we're talking about direct democracy and people being in control of their government. Look, right. we had, a, we had a, a city council member in Raleigh who took two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from real estate developers up in New York. You know, I mean, like mm. how the heck are it is our people of, of, of this this area going to be represented when you have that type of influence? Um, being bought by uh, and this is not it's not just outsiders it's also people here so yeah there's a lot to this idea of, of what me what a living wage actually means and how we can go about accomplishing it yeah and there's so much need for unionizing as well in North Carolina that can be such a big big uplift as well yeah. too for helping workers just unionizing and I know North Carolina is a right to work state um, a bona fide right to work state um, have you uh, I've noticed that you had that on your platform. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anybody else that agrees with you as well, too, for no. unifying and, and livable wages? No, no. Uh, the de- the presumptive nominee for the Democratic Party here um, who uh, the Democrats cleared out their primary in order to make sure a centrist that uh, would be centrist. the person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she and she is Sherry Beasley is. Uh, she, ha- she has on her platform that she's in favor of raising it to the $15 minimum wage. But as we discussed, 
fifteen dollars is just not enough. We, we know yeah. this; it's not enough. I, we, the data shows people can't live on it. Newspaper down here had a story about how hard it is to live on um, fifteen dollars an hour uh, already. And one of the things that like they kind of didn't make a point of is that the person they are talking about who is making who is making who is making it on fifteen dollars an hour lived right. almost an hour away from where she worked. Because she couldn't afford to live where she worked, right? Jesus. I mean, like just right there, that's you know that that's a lot of it. So you know, Sherry Beasley is uh, uh, you know in favor of the fifteen dollar minimum wage, but great. Uh, so I don't believe the Democrats would ever <laughs> raise it. I mean, so and, and you know, show me why I should believe that. Right. But even if they did, then what? It's going to stay at fifteen dollars for the next fifteen years again, right? I mean, like so unless fifteen is going to look like seven now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in, and so in le- like I said, it costs uh, last year. Now it's twenty percent more. So I, if I could do the math in my head real quick, it was eighteen fifty. Uh, that means it's uh, about now to rent a two bedroom apartment. It's about probably about twenty two dollars a, 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 a an hour is what's needed throughout North Carolina based upon right. the twenty percent increase in rents. So you know, and workers are making sixteen and a half dollars an hour. You know, I mean, like so. How, you know, how is that going to work? How does that help? What 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 type of change does that impact uh, through policy that has a very real effect on, you know, and I'm not talking about small amounts, elements of the population, certain communities. I'm talking about, you know, 55 percent of Americans can't afford a one thousand dollar expense. Yeah. You know, um, so if you if you are lucky enough to own your own home and you have something happen, which is any homeowner can tell you it will, you know, a lot of people don't have the money to be able to shell out for that expense, whatever it may be. Your 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 heating breaks in the middle of the winter, you know, right. Um, right. you know, and then, you know, as far as a renter, if you're a renter, you can't afford a one thousand dollar expense. How the heck are you ever going to be able to afford uh, to purchase a home? Yeah, You know, I mean, and there's all kinds of things we can do about that, but that's the reality for more, for the majority of the people in this country. And that's one thing I will say about our platform. And again, people can go to, you know, MatthewHoferSenate.org and look at it. Nope. I don't think there's anything on there, Jabari, that, that is, is, doesn't have uh, majority public opinion support uh, in the United States. You know, um, and if it's not majority public opinion support, then it, then it's plurality support. The stuff that you and I and others in our movement are advocating for is very popular, wildly popular, right, among right. American people because right. it's what they need. You know, right. and it can get and it somehow. And I, I've had this already said to me by people from the Democratic Party how my platform is radical and fringe. It's <laughs> radical and fringe for people in Washington D.C. whose donors are going to be upset by it. Exactly. That's it. That's what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. I'm looking like a madman because I'm always saying that whenever I do a reaction video to something that's going on, like with the whole Ukraine situation. It's literally like when 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 Charlemagne the God asked a question to uh, Kamala Harris, is Joe Manchin the president or is Biden the president? Well, the real question he should have asked, which was a great question because it kind of pissed her off and made her literally go on a rant for a, a few minutes on him, which I've never saw in my life. You literally made the vice president go out of character. So kudos <laughs> to him for that. But <laughs> what she should have asked was, how much is Manchin getting paid to oppose these progressive, 
not even just progressive, right. like borderline ask. How much is Biden being paid to to um, not even back and, and put fire under Joe Manchin for these borderline ask? Because that is the big deal. And you notice they have the same donors that the Republicans do. So it makes oh, liberals yeah. look very hypocritical when they when they talk about that and, and not really get into the full basis of what's really going on. Oh, absolutely. The overlap between the Democrat and the Republican in this race in North Carolina for the U.S. Senate is much greater than my overlap with any other candidate. In fact, I mean, possibly in, t- in, in terms of like life and death issues. Yeah, of course, the Democrat and I overlap on abortion, although I would never be a Democrat like Hillary Clinton, who would have a, who would have a pro-life running me. Right. Yeah. I would never, ever support the Hyde Amendment. Makes right? no sense. <laughs> right? The Democrats do. You know, the the, uh, you know, I mean, there's just no how one of the things that is really important for me is philosophy. Where do where do we how do we arrive at these decisions about issues and policies and what programs we want to see? And you have to have a a philosophy. You have to have a philosophy uh, that that is rooted out of study, of course, and, you know, good books you've read and what you've learned from other people. But more importantly, from your life experiences, right, from the experience. I mean, and that's so much of what this campaign is about, you know, the healthcare aspect that ending the war on drugs, those are life or death things. And I know people who are in life or death situations with them. You know, I have people in my life who have to, I, I have, I have healthcare workers as friends who as healthcare workers, they cannot afford to purchase healthcare for themselves. They can only afford to purchase healthcare for the other people in their family, their children, one friend's case, her mother as well, but themselves, they cannot afford health care for as healthcare workers, right? right. The, 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 the craziness of that, the, the, the madness of it and the, the, uh, how heinous that is. You know, I mean, I have other friends who are uh, people that have been business owners. You know, these are not the, the, the people that the Republicans would lead you to believe. These are people that were business owners whose life was going and then life happened. And things are right. I mean, and they don't have health insurance. Right. Right. And they have to make terrible decisions and they can't get the help they need and they have to. Right. I mean, so this is in my life. I mean, this is is, this is I have my own experience with with health issues as well. You know, I was fortunate to be able to go to the Veterans Administration. So I know what it's like to be able to go and get help um, through a system that's designed first and foremost I mean, the VA has its issues, but designed first and foremost to provide care, you know, without other concerns, unlike our the rest of our healthcare system, which is designed for profit, you know. But I know what it's like to be able to call my doctor and not worry about a bill, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell you what, because of the conditions I had coming home from war, the traumatic brain injury, the moral right. injury, the PTSD, if I did not have that available to me, I would have killed myself. Because if I am not without having that access to health care, I wouldn't have made it. No way. Mm. And that's, you know, I mean, so, you know, you have that, the, the, the war on drugs, the, the, the what won the criminalization of it. Right. People right. in my community where I live who, you know, people I know who have been victimized by it, families destroyed because of our mass incarceration policies. Right. Because, right. you know, as well, then, too. The uh, the deaths. I mean, I, I know too many. I know too many people who've been shattered by those deaths. Who who have lost husbands, who've lost sons, who've lost friends uh, because 
uh, as it comes to mind. It's just, just men I'm ten, thinking of right now, but I also know women who've been brutally, you know, been killed by it. And right. it's because we have a uh, policy in this country that treats substance abuse and addiction as a criminal matter rather than a public health matter. Right. So there's no overlap with me on these issues with the Democrat or the Republican. And these are life and death issues. And that's right. enough. I mean, the people of North Carolina deserve to have those options on the ballot. You know, right. every state, every community, uh, you know, the fact that we, you know, in 2024, when there's a presidential race, will there be someone standing up there saying this is what we're going to do to fix these problems that are killing Americans every day? Right. Right. And 25 percent of the United States population isn't is incarcerated. A majority of those incarcerations is over drugs. Um, oh, the, the, the incarcerated. Yeah. Right. I mean, we have, uh, yeah, a quarter of the world's popular quarter. We have got, we have got a quarter, we've got a quarter of the world's prison population and less than 5% of the, pri- of the, of the total population. Yes. I mean, it's, and it's marries up, right? I mean, this is one of the things that we talk about a lot in the organization that belong to veterans for peace is that the wars overseas are mirrored, mirrored at, with the wars here at home. So if you understand the United States to have more prisons and prisoners than anyone else in the world, you can certainly understand how the U.S. by far has more overseas military bases. Right. Mm-hmm. If if you understand how we have a, uh, a system of. Uh, uh, Right. We have we have these wars overseas that veterans which have killed, you know, uh, killed and made homeless tens of millions of people uh, without any discussion at all in this country about uh, uh, reparations. Um, But, you know, if you understand that, you can understand how how many um, hundreds of thousands of veterans are are, are dealing with the invisible wounds of war, how many are killing themselves because of it. Well, if you understand that, you can also kind of see the link with our how with our policies, uh, with why this is why the United States has twice the amount of covid deaths as any other, you know, uh, you know, the peer nation, you know, nation that has a similar level of GDP. Right, uh, right. right. I mean, like, you can you can see how these things match up. Uh, we've got more guns and people in this country and we are the biggest exporter of weapons in the world. Right. So wars mm-hmm. overseas mirrored with the wars here at home. Um, I, yeah. I don't think anyone's a long, big stretch for people to sit to look at our war on drugs and then look at our uh, wars overseas and say, yeah, there's a lot of similarities there. I mean, yeah. look what just happened in Minneapolis, uh, you know, a, a special What's happening uh, in Minneapolis? The um, a uh, young man um, was shot and killed while sleeping during a no knock warrant, and he was not even the target of the police action. And so there is uh, considerable uh, 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 considerable uh, attention to Minneapolis, and of course, um, you know, a lot of people are are, are out on the streets. You know, and oh, I'm very grateful for that. But you know, a situation where. You know, and, and the reason why we know that this happened is because the body camera footage showed it. This is what happened. You know, mm-hmm. if you didn't have that footage, the police would just lie about it like they did for yep. decades or centuries even. Right. You know. Yep. Um, so, yeah, you have this where, you know, when you have it basically gets down to this idea that violence as a solution, particularly a state solution is violence. This is the result. The 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 what we see here. Uh, this carnage uh, is the result, and that's why Chelsea Manning is 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 ridiculed so much. That's why Julian Assange is ridiculed so much. Yeah, 
because they've shown what happened overseas. They've shown that. And it shows a government that's not given democracy, but becoming the judge and executioner to black and brown countries that deserve their right to their own independence and economic growth. Uh, when it, when it, and that's just the way, it's the way it is. And it's just so sad. And that's why we need voices like you to, especially veteran voices, you know, especially veteran voices like you that just keep on drilling this message of what needs to change because no, because America loves their veterans. They love their veterans, but they don't realize how much the government does not treat their veterans right. And I wish they, I, there's, we need more voices like you to just keep on pushing that no, that notion of like what we're going through over there, what we're dealing with over there, you know? Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, you know, the, the wars have been so terribly destructive on so many levels um, and for so many people, uh, you know, and particularly uh, the countries that have been just absolutely destroyed by these wars and the United States just picks up and leaves uh, and then is eager five, six months after the last war ended. I wouldn't say it ended because the sanctions and the freezing of, of, exactly. of Afghan money, it's just sanctions. War Sanctions are just war by another, another right, another by another name. Uh, you're starving people. You're letting people freeze. Exactly. Um, I mean, that's uh, so. You know, and, but we're, we're ready to go to war now in Eastern Europe. Um, you know, and it, it's just you know, and so much of this is so dirty. So much of this is so dirty. You know, you look at the roots of this crisis in Ukraine, and it comes down to uh, uh, not just the the typical suspects in the sense of the arms industry and the banks and that kind of right. stuff as well right. as the as well as the as c Wright mills uh you know who was a, 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 a intellectual in the 50s who really took on the cold war as c Wright mills would call them the crackpot realists who think that the united states has to own every piece of the ground militarily in the world and that all exactly. nations must be under our flag um, besides i mean those people are very real and they're very dangerous they exist all they exist all through washington dc some wear uniforms most do not um but uh you know besides the, those the usual suspects uh you know you have this whole issue if you look at the roots of the ukrainian crisis you really see the the role of the energy companies the liquid national gas uh, uh, in particular, the idea that, you know, Russia is a competitor to U.S. gas exports exactly. uh, and Europe is a huge, uh, a huge consumer of gas, a huge marketplace. And yeah, I mean, it, this is not um, this is not conspiracy stuff. This is, you know, you, you look at the, the Cove Point liquid national natural gas uh, facility that the Mingan uh, energy uh, was uh, built in Virginia. You know, and that purpose, three, four billion dollar expansion of their plant in 2013 was meant to export to Europe. Uh, That's the same time that people remember, because in the 2012 presidential debates, President Obama mocked Mitt Romney for saying that Russia was an enemy or an adversary. Well, how come in six months to a year, U.S. policy on uh, on Russia completely flipped? Right. Uh, you know, it's got a lot, not saying it's the only reason, but a lot's got to do with American uh, gas exports to Europe and the fact that Russia is the main competitor. Um, right. So this is all so dirty. It, it, there's no, you know, like like most wars, um, 
don't want to say every war because there are oftentimes wars against occupation that are quite justified. Um, but, you know, uh, in most wars, there are no good sides. And right. Ukraine is a terrific example. The only good side are the common people of Ukraine, whether they speak right. Ukrainian or Russian, who right. are already 15,000 of them have been killed, but who are uh, been trod underfoot by this. That's yeah. the only good side, and that's the only side I support in this. Exactly. Um, the working class people of Ukraine. Exactly. Exactly. They, yeah. They never mentioned they never mentioned about how the Obama administration really literally went as far as to support it in Israel as well, too, in 2014 to support a neo-fascist coup that we that, right. that now has in control of Ukraine. That right. they literally oust a democratically elected Ukrainian leader. And placed in the neo-fascist coup, and right. so it, it just became so much more dirtier. And you don't hear that, you don't hear that at all in Western media, at you, all. You know, let alone the uh, the the, and it's a big part of our campaign. Uh, Jabari is, is is accountability. Who was held accountable for that decision? Who was held accountable for this decision to uh, 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 conduct a coup in Ukraine? Of which there's no doubt. I mean, there is. Uh, 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 audio recording of the U.S.'s top diplomat for Europe and the American ambassador in Ukraine discussing the, uh, the coup explicitly. I mean, there is no doubt about this, right? Yep. Let alone the vast and long history of American coups overseas. I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens of them, right? Very, right, right. you know, so there's no doubt about that. Who, you know, obviously a complete disaster because that prompts Vladimir Putin to seize Crimea. Right. That that prompts uh, a, a Russian, um, you know, pro, uh, Russian separatist movement in eastern Ukraine to split off. That prompts this civil war that prompts all kinds of atrocities, causes the region to be unstable, puts us on this course because of that coup. Who has ever you I mean, that, that's that's one of the things about the campaign is this desire to hold accountable people for these decisions that have ruined so many lives and not right. just talking about the coup in Ukraine, but also too, there's never any accountability for the wars in Iraq or Afghanistan or Syria or Libya or Yemen or, or any of the other one. I mean, right. there's no accountability for the, look, we had hundred thousand opioid overdose deaths in the 12 months period last year. Where's yeah. the accountability for that? I mean, it, it, who, doesn't yeah. it become like a, a common thing for people my age now to die from fentanyl in, yes. in this country? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, I mean, your age, your age group, uh, the, what they call the deaths of despair. Yeah. Right. Which is overdose, which is uh, suicides. Uh, I, I think you can tie. I, I really do think that we have such a, a crisis of despair and distress in this country um, that this country does not deserve that people do not should not be experiencing, but because of the policies we have chosen in this country to pursue for all my life, again, I was born in 73, you know, to maximize uh, profits, to make sure the banks get bigger, the corporations bigger, the wealthier get bigger or stronger or richer, or however you want to describe it, yeah. you know, where, where we have a country where when uh, the Omicron uh, variant of the virus uh, is, is announced, uh, after how many hundreds of thousands of deaths, and now there's another variant, the stock market goes up. Yep. That's the country we live in. Right. And so when we look at these issues, these deaths of despair, you know, you're telling me there's not a, a connection. 
You know, it may not exactly. be line, but come on, there's a connection here. We've got a, a country that the, the financial markets cheer and go nuts as more people are because more people are going to die. You know, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we do. We have these 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 issues, you know, and who's who's accountable for that? Uh, you know, but we it is a, it is an uphill battle. Of course, it's it's swimming uphill, as a friend of mine likes to say. But right. the alternative is to allow it and accept it. And that's something I don't think uh, any of us uh, are capable of doing. Right. Right. And it's just so important to keep reminding people that what goes on overseas affects us here. Yeah. So we have to pay attention. We have to. <laughs> um, everybody, I want to thank you so much, Matthew Ho, for this conversation. Um, we're getting down to our hour mark, and I wanted to make sure that it's a perfect enough time uh, for people to grasp this. And I'd love to have you back on in another season. Um, this is such a great dialogue that we're having. And for everyone in North Carolina that is in your district, um, it goes by district, right? Or, or uh, are you going for uh, federal? You are, yeah, yeah, or, federal, you're a Senate. Okay, so, so, yeah, so it's all, the, whole all of North Carolina. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yep. So, definitely, Matthew Ho for Senate.org. Um, get on that website. Learn about his platform. Vote for him. Vote green. <laughs> you know, here here in Connecticut, I'm a I'm a party for socialism um, member, and we have a strong yeah. relationship with the Green Party. Um, Peter Goslin, uh, when he was uh, running for Attorney General, no district district attorney, um, I was one of the volunteers on his campaign. Um, I, I really do I really do love uh, the relationships I have built with uh, Green Party members here in Connecticut. And I'm so excited. I'm still so excited that I'm able to talk to you, someone who I've, I've been listening to for years and and use that as talking points. I directed people towards you. I'm so glad that you're running. And I hope that you give these Democrats hell. <laughs> hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on here. One thing I'll, I'll say uh, finally uh, is that we're not on the ballot yet. We need 15,000 yep. signatures by mid-May to get on the ballot. Mm -hmm. um, so if you think like I think that people in North Carolina should have uh, deserve the deserve the opportunity to vote for someone who is, you know, uh, in favor of universal health care, you know, a, a full comprehensive Medicare for all uh, in favor of universal higher education, student medical debt cancellation, you know, real mm -hmm. action on climate change, ending the war on drugs, you know, getting money out of politics, et cetera, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, please, uh, please support me and go to my website and donate, yep. sign up to volunteer, tell your friends and family about it. I mean, that, yep. that is, if you can do one thing is to let people know about this campaign, because we are up against so much money and we are mm. up against such a blackout by the traditional media, uh, that I need, we need the campaign needs, uh, everyone's help and would love to have people involved. Yeah, I'm definitely going to share this to my family out there in North Carolina. Uh, that's my second home, Pine Top and Rocky Mount. Oh, um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That beautiful area. That's yeah. where I was partly raised from as well, too. Okay. Um, so I'm definitely going to let them know about you um, and tell them straight up because me and my mom talk about politics all the time. And my sister is moving back down here, actually, uh, next week. Um, I think she's actually moving to Raleigh, actually. She's getting a home in Raleigh. Um, so I'm definitely gonna let them know. 
I'm going to yeah. do my best and tell them to spread the word. <laughs> Please do. And, and your family wants to join our team. We can use a we can use a team leader out in Rock Rocky Mount. I know that. So uh, yeah, happy to have people happy happy to have as many people be a part of this campaign. You know, I, I try I, I I try and make a real effort to say rather than say I to say we because that's how I really do feel about this. And yes. and we don't have a campaign team. We have a campaign collective. You know, I mean, so we're really trying to um, to be the ideology and philosophy and ideas that we espouse. We're really trying to do that here right. uh, with this campaign. Thank you so much, Matthew Hell. Um, and enjoy the rest of your day. Keep on fighting. And I want to thank everybody that has listened to this and the people in the future that are going to listen to this as well, too. Thank you so much. And keep on fighting. One love. Have a good day, Matthew. Hey, thank you so much. Blank period, yeah. I'm a black, brown, and indigenous. Gotta holla if you really feeling this. Gotta holla if you really real enough. Other rappers is delirious. Yeah, it's really that serious. Better holla if you really feeling me. I gotta keep it a hundred. Hey, keep it on like it, then fuck it. Hey, we gonna win in the end. Yeah, we gonna live in abundance. I gotta keep it a hundred. Hey, if you don't like it, then fuck it. Hey, we gonna win in we gonna, we gonna, we gonna, I gotta give it a hundred. We gotta stop all the stunting. You know we coming from nothing. Yo, you talking about money, you bluffing. We gotta do something different. We gotta change how we living. We gotta do better for women. We gotta do better for children. We gotta listen to victims, whether Jewish or Muslim or Christian. It doesn't matter your religion. You gotta stand against the system. Or else you just another villain. How you just sitting there chilling?